I just marvel, don't you, at the coolness of this July day. I tried to find a jacket. I didn't even bring a jacket to reunion. I should have known better, but uh, we'll endure. Appreciate the Lord's blessings to us that way. It's not that cool. You're tougher than I am, Stephen. <laughs> well, and I also can't hardly believe it's our last full day of reunion. How quickly the time passes. We uh, are going to study our theme uh, for the day, which is uh, Watch Therefore, for ye know not the hour. What do you suppose, if you were to just boil it down into a word or two, what is the essence or the meaning behind that theme? Watch therefore, for ye know not the hour. What do you think, saints? Barb? To be prepared. That's what I had written down in my note. As I pondered that, to be prepared, and I think Eric actually answered that question for us too during the the prayer service, Um, to be prepared. So what do you think that means? What's it mean to be prepared? And if you think about it, what we're talking about here is the coming of the Lord, isn't it? So how do we prepare ourselves to meet Him? Do you put on your tie? (laughs) Do you put on your best garments? Do you clean your house? What do you do to be prepared? A little bit of a rhetorical question, but I want you to think about that. What's it going to take? Kyle, what's it going to take to be prepared? Those clothes you're talking about, he says, put on the robe of righteousness. Put on a robe of righteousness. Thank you. I don't know that it's a temporal thing. I think it's a spiritual thing that we're talking about here, Greg. The other day as I was looking again over 2 Corinthians 7.14, usually whenever that scripture is referenced or whenever I've sung about it or read it or heard it, it's always about the nation's responsibility. But actually, it's probably one of the best blueprints that we have for individual preparation. It's the process that is needed to be ready to act. That's what preparation is, is it's being in the state ready to act. In the state of readiness, then. Brother Ed? You find in the scriptures where it says, gird up your loins. And it's some, that as a state of preparation. It, they wore a long garb that was around their legs. And the ladies that wear dresses know that you're going to take action and move out, move out. They pull up their. They would pull the dress up a little bit so they don't. Their feet don't get tangled, and they would tuck it into your your loins, you, your belt where you kept all your gear. And so, I, I don't mean to get so descriptive, but it's girding up your loins, being prepared to move out, so that you're not, you not have anything to get in your way, so you can be in action. It, yeah, it's an action that you need to take, an action of preparation. It's not to sit idly by. It's to. It's an action word. I was thinking, uh, you know, I've shared a testimony every morning during prayer service, but I didn't today. You know, the flow was going really well. I wouldn't, wouldn't, didn't feel particularly prompted to do that, but I was reminded of a testimony, and I'm going to embarrass my son, so I apologize in advance. But, he, you know, he was... Uh, 
two, almost going on three years old, and we were down at reunion in Oklahoma. And he stood up to offer the first prayer that he had ever done in public. <laughs> and uh, he got started, like little ones do. They got started, Dear Heavenly Father. And then he looked at me, didn't know what else to say. So I knelt down and whispered, you know, in his ear, um, you know, bless mom and dad. You know, those things that a two- or three-year-old would do. And then uh, help me to be a good boy. And he looked at me, and out loud he said, I haven't done anything wrong. And it's, I love telling that story. It's just a fun story from our family. But, you know, if you think about it, that's the condition, saints, that we need to be in, where we haven't done anything wrong. And we're forgiven of our sins. And we become a righteous people. That's the preparation that we're talking about here, to become a righteous people. Remember we talked yesterday, read that scripture, because of the righteousness of his people, Satan has no power. We want him bound up and out of our way. Onward, forward, saints, to Zion. And that's how we do it, is by our righteousness. Are we there yet? Raise your hand if you're there. That was rhetorical. Although I would have liked to have seen somebody raise their hand. I think, can any of Jane? Can any of us really say that we're there, that we're righteous? Brother Tom? Talking about this makes me think of the uh, Nephites when Christ came. You know, the more righteous were spared. The more righteous were spared. We, we don't know if they were what righteousness they were at, but they were more righteous. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Think of all the things that he shared with them because they were in that state of preparation. Sister Pat. I'd like to say that we're a work in progress. Yeah, we're working, a work in progress. Working unto perfection. Very well said. Yep, thank you very much. You know, that's why the Lord placed us here. It's a, a time of preparation for us, a time for us to prepare to meet God. And we don't know when he's going to come, but what if he comes tomorrow? What if he comes this afternoon and he calls to us? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord, I was just getting my swimming suit on and going to the pool. Now, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from going to the pool, but, you know, you get what I mean. We, How do we know that we're prepared, saints? This is a serious thing, Brother Kyle. Well, because, like you say, he can call us today to take us from this earth to die. Yeah. And if we're not, that's it. That's all we had to, that's our, our time of probation, and we had to work. We don't know right now. I mean, we could be hit by a meteor or whatever. That's why he wants us to be prepared right now, not what, keep putting it off and all's well since I am. Keep putting it off. We could be taken. We could see him today. Did you say get hit by a meteor? <laughs> I don't think I've heard that example before, but, boy, it, that brings it to a whole new level. Sister Elisa and then we'll It's been several years ago now, but... 
one Wednesday night when the kids were little, and what brought this to mind was your testimony about Isaac and how sometimes it's the children who simplify things and you just re- receive this understand better under so much of a better understanding because it's so simple. But um, on this particular night, we were traveling to church on a Wednesday night and there was a rainbow in the sky and we were talking about the everlasting covenant with the kids and and um, I made the comment that you know you need to. You need to be praying about Zion because one day, someday Zion's going to come. And, you know, we were talking about that. And, and all of you who have children have probably had this conversation with them. But all of a sudden, from the back seat, one of them said, well, why do we have to wait so long for it? Why can't we just pray for it to be now? And I, and I just sat there, and I was so convicted and ashamed that I had taught my children to, to place that hope in Zion for some time in the future, years from now, and that they were so willing to believe that it could be right now. Thank you for sharing that. Out of the mouths of babes. I keep wanting to call you Charlotte. Shirley. <laughs> Why did your mom name you so close together, those names so close together? <laughs> I don't know. Um I was reminded of the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus came to visit and Mary was busy attending to what the Lord was saying, uh, wrapped up in the Savior. And Martha was so busy making food and being the hostess and taking care of the house that she didn't have time to participate. And she complained to the Lord and wanted her sister to help her. Make her help me. And he said, she's doing what she needs to be doing. And it always struck me because in our house, I'm the Martha. I'm the doer, the one who runs around and does everything while everybody, so everybody else can do that. And I heard a testimony once uh, of a person had had, I don't know if it was a dream or vision, what they had had, but... They had uh, been close to Zion. Zion had was was happening, and they had been busy, 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 helping everybody else get there. And as he gets to the gates, the gates were shut to him. He couldn't get in because this person had been so busy helping everybody else, he missed his opportunity. And it was given to him to understand that you need to partake, you need to take care of your spiritual condition, and God will tend to the others. It's okay to help people along the way, but to forget to help yourself. Or help to get there and be late and have the gates closed to you. It's too late to change while you've been busy helping everybody else. So it's been a lesson to me, you know, because that's my nature, to want to do everything for everybody and help them and make things nice and make things perfect. I forget to be in the moment and be right there doing what is most important. Very good. Thank you so much for that. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here that start to, uh, I think, elaborate on exactly what you all have been talking about and sharing here this morning. These theme references, the first is in the 24th chapter of Matthew. I'm going to read verse 50 and 51. 
It says, but know this, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched. He would not have suffered his house to have been broken up, but would have been ready. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. How many of us would, if we knew the thief was going to come in the night to break up our house, who of us would have been awake with a flashlight, ready to expose the problem and to take care of it so that nothing would happen to a house? If we knew he was coming, we would have all done that, wouldn't we? We would have all been ready. But the fact that we don't know suggests that we need to take another level of preparation. Who can tell me the scripture that we just read here? Verse 51 says, the, uh, For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Tell me who the Son of Man is. Everett says Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Are we sure? I'm just testing you. Can you prove it, Scott? Well, what? Yeah. Why do you suppose that is? I'm making you think here this morning. Turn to the book of Genesis, 6th chapter. And it's verse 60. I've I've got a note in my margin here that cross-references this, so I don't have to remember exactly where it's at because my memory is not that good. But, But I tried to make my preparation. I put a note in my margin to get me to the right answer. And I think this gives us pretty clear understanding. I think we knew anyway that that reference was Jesus Christ. But Genesis 6.60 says, For no unclean thing can dwell there or dwell in his presence. For in the language of Adam, man of holiness is his name. And the name of his, excuse me, and the name of his only begotten, of his only begotten is the Son of Man, even Jesus Christ. So there you got a very clear definition of what Son of Man means, and that means uh, Jesus Christ. Genesis 6 60. Yeah, you got to watch out for me. I, evidently, I have been misquoting scriptures all week, and I keep getting called on it. I'm reading it right where I say it is, but it's not there, evidently. <laughs> Given given bad information, Brother Everett. The reason that he was that Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit is because he could be both God and man. Okay. And also be without sin because sin was conceived through man. Very good. Good good He's understanding. Why called there. the Son of Man? Yeah, good understanding there. Let's turn to uh, section 65. Look at this other uh, theme reference for today. Verse 1D. 
I'll just read D down through E, that last part of that, not a very long section, verse 65, is section 65, isn't it? It says, Pray unto the Lord and call upon his holy name. Make known his wonderful works among the people. Call upon the Lord that his kingdom may go forth upon the earth, that the inhabitants thereof may receive it and be prepared for the days to come in which the Son of Man, there we see it again, which the Son of Man shall come down in heaven, clothed in the brightness of his glory, to meet the kingdom of God, which was set up on the earth. Wherefore, may the kingdom of God go forth, that the kingdom of heaven may come, that thou, O God, may be glorified in heaven, so on earth, that thy enemies may be subdued, for thine is the honor power and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, as I read through that particular verse, a few things stand out to me. The first is in verse D that said, Call upon the Lord that his kingdom may go forth upon the earth. So number one, I think, in our preparation is we need to ask him to do that. Call upon the Lord that his kingdom may go forth upon the earth. And I think the kingdom and the church have a very close association. Okay, and we've talked a little bit about that already this week. The second thing is that the the inhabitants may receive it and then be prepared for the days which are to come. So receiving of the kingdom and that close association with the church that the inhabitants of the earth might receive this testimony, okay, that the Son of Man will come down. Does it say from heaven? What does that say there? That the Son of Man will come down. Does it say from? In that he'll come down in heaven. What does that mean? Stephen doesn't know. Sister Pat? The Lord says he has many earths and stuff, so to think there would be one heaven, I don't know. He's in charge of it all. He can go where he wants. He is in charge of it all, That that's for sure. Brother Tom? That makes me think of the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, I like that. That makes me think of it too. Sister Barb up here. In Genesis 6, no, where he talks about the everlasting covenant. Uh And he talks about the fact that the general assembly of the church of the firstborn will come down out of heaven and possess the earth. When when he comes and when they come, they are bringing heaven with them. That's the way I look at it. I think when he talks about I'm going to come down in heaven, I think he's bringing all of those attributes of we under of what we understand about heaven with him like the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, his church coming with him. Brother Eric and then Brother Wayne. 
the holy city the holy city the holy city yeah comes with him yeah so he's as as barb said uh heaven is coming down with him heaven is coming down with him yep i agree brother wayne uh, there's a scripture i'd have to look it up for you but it says christ dwells eternally in the heavens and so I had this question of how is he going to return? That's it. He returns in heaven. He brings heaven with him. Heaven and earth combine. They, they come together. What, what does it say there at the end of verse E? Who's he going to meet? He's coming down in heaven, clothed with the brightness of his glory, which we've been talking a lot about the brightness of his glory this week. Who's he going to meet? The kingdom of God, which is set upon the earth. So the kingdom of God is set upon the earth, and then the kingdom is going to come. God's going to come in heaven to meet them there. It's just all the things that we've been taught, that our parents taught us when we were little kids, so that we can teach our parents from the back seat of the car, <laughs> or or remind them from the back seat of the car what we've taught our children all along. We just need to have the faith to make it so. Brother Ed? I think everybody here realizes that it's a great teaching point for our children to the purpose of marriage. It's a pattern that when the two come together, they form a child, and this child is the kingdom, Zion, heaven on earth. And so there's a pattern there. I think that it's relevant in teaching about the relationships of uh, man and woman and, ma- and marriage. So. Yeah, and and look at Revelations. You know, uh, was at the twelfth chapter talks about you know the the bride of Christ is the church. Christ is the bridegroom. brings The woman brings forth the kingdom, that man child which is the kingdom. So great, great analogy. All these things work together. It's just. It's so exciting when you start seeing them, start putting all these pieces together and start talking about them, how exciting it is. Because this is what I hope to encourage you with today, to make you think about what preparation is necessary that I can be part of exactly what's being talked about here uh, in this scripture. So I'm going to, uh, oh, Brother Steve, go ahead. This morning we sang in the priesthood prayer service the hymn, Glorious Things Are Sung of Zion. And the third stanza has always impressed me to to think of that, the original way it was written. It says, when the Lord returns with Zion and they hear the watchman cry, then the saints will be united and they'll see eye to eye. Then they'll mingle with the angels and the Lord will bless his own. Then the earth will be as Eden, they shall know as they are known. I, uh, I think that folks that have, have been on this committee have already apologized to W.W. Phelps because it's supposed to say, when the Lord returns with Zion and we hear the watchman cry, then the saints will be united and we'll see eye to eye. Then we'll mingle with the angel and the Lord will bless his own. Then the earth will be as Eden. They sh- we shall know as we are known. We don't want to think of this as some 
futuristic time, 20 years or 100 years from now, we have to think of that as us now. And I know we don't know the hour and we're not supposed to. It's a good thing we don't. But we have to consider this as we. This, this should be and can be in our lifetime. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> yep, right behind you. As Greg. What I like about what's being said here in 65 is this is just another way of God saying, when you do what I say, I am bound. But when you do not what I say, I am not bound. And so this is him reiterating once again, I've made promises to you. I have given you ways to up, up, uh, keep my covenants and my commandments. You do it. This is going to be the result. And he, he one of the few times that I can find in Scripture, it's where he stops there, and he doesn't give the other end of the spectrum. But we have that uh, continuously throughout the Scriptures as well to remind us where that lack of preparation continues to exist, what what our consequence is. And they're both consequences, be it to our, be it to our blessing or be it to our condemnation. But he continues to remind us that that's what he wants. He wants us to act, to be prepared, so that then he can tell us to act beyond that preparation, to enact what he wants to. He wants to dwell with us, in us and through us, not just week-long experiences or Sunday morning, Wednesday evening experiences. Yeah, don't be lukewarm. That's what I thought of as you were describing there. Don't be lukewarm. Be all in. And we've got to be all in. You know, I, I was, uh, as Greg was talking, I was reminded also of that uh, testimony and infallible proofs um, of the rings, you know, um, where I'm going to paraphrase and I'm going to get it, I'm going to mess it up because I haven't read it in a long time, but um, where, where the Holy Spirit resides and Zion is on the earth, and those that could abide the presence of that spirit and the judgment of that spirit were able to stay within that ring. And then the, as it grew, as people came in that met that level of righteousness, the rings expanded and grew. But he saw, as I hope I'm not getting my stories mixed up or testimonies mixed up here, but he saw some that he had fully expected would be able to abide that Holy Spirit were having to leave or depart and with tears running down their face because they couldn't abide that judgment and they had to go and make themselves ready to be able to come back in. So do you want to be in that circle, Greg? At Adrian Retreat last year, Jeremy Stevenson with a PH was there with his family and he works at Lake City. In, in amongst ammunition, and he was con- he was said that he was contemplating preparation before retreat, and the Lord used the ammunition that they produce as a point in case for him to understand preparation. It's it's a fine tuned process to build that bullet, and once that bullet is built, it is prepared so that whenever the hammer hits, then the bullet acts and. I love that analogy. Working in the auction industry on the weekends, though, has given me another form because there is that preparation that takes place and the bullet is prepared. 
But then there's also a continuation of maintenance for that piece of ammunition. And when we go into different estates and are essentially rummaging through a lifetime's worth of accumulation, there are times that we come across ammunition that's rusted because it was allowed to exist amongst an environment that was not conducive to it maintaining its preparation. And whenever it comes time to sell that ammunition, the ammunition that has been maintained in its preparation has value. Whereas the, the ammunition that has not been maintained in the environment that it existed has little to no worth except for to build another bullet or another shell or something along those lines. But the value is extremely decreased. And just so, just because you've gotten to a point of preparation, if you don't maintain the environment that you exist in, it can tarnish that preparation and decrease the effectiveness. That's a really... I love that analogy. I mean, that's great. So what it suggests is that we really have have to be in a continual state of preparation. We can't become fully jacketed and all of the gunpowder in there, bullet, ready to go, and expect that we're going to just stay in that condition forever. You know, there's influences that are, in the case of a bullet, that are atmospheric that cause it to corrode or whatever, there's influences in our lives that cause us to get distracted and to, what's going to happen right after this reunion, saints? Are we going to have a high point here and then immediately step off the ground and, you know, be back in our normal life? Well, we are going to be some degree, but is anything going to change about us? Are we going to prepare differently are we going to do things differently that will keep our casing shiny and ready for action? You know, think about those things. All right, let me, let me have you, if you still got your handouts for this week, I'm going to turn back to page 7. We didn't get to this a few days ago, and, and now I think maybe I understand why. Um, because it seems to fit perfectly with what we're talking about today. And this is, uh, well, we'll go through a few scriptural references. This is not a scriptural reference in and of itself. Do you have page 7 on the bottom there, Stephen? Okay. Is it missing one? All right. Okay. Well, let me just... uh, Let me just read this to you if you don't have it. This comes from, uh, I found it in a book called uh, The Manual of the Priesthood, written by Charles Derry. And he had assembled a lot of scriptures, but some other um, outside resources. It was also taken from uh, the Millennial Star, which is a publication that they published in England um, beginning in the 1840s. And this was in uh, published in the Millennial Star of 1855. It was actually written by Joseph Smith, Jr. Uh, in 1839. And this is just a couple of paragraphs from what he wrote. 
And I came across this several years ago, and I, I continue to marvel at the wisdom that is that is here because it's it's something that before I came across it I had never supposed and I didn't understand it. Joseph Jr. said that Paul spoke of the dispensation of the fullness of times when God would gather together all things in one and those men to whom the keys have been given will have to be there and they without us cannot be made perfect. So if you think about the context of what we've been talking about here, about the Lord coming down in heaven and bringing this church of the firstborn with him, think about that as we continue to read. These men are in heaven, but their children are on earth. Their bowels yearn over us. God sends down men for this reason, and the Son of Man shall send forth his angels. All those authoritative characters will come down and join hand in, and join hand, in hand in bringing about this work. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. The mustard seed is small, but brings forth a large tree. And the fowls lodge in the branches. The fowls are the angels. Thus angels come down, combine together to gather their children. We cannot be made perfect without them, nor they without us. When these things are done, the Son of Man will descend, the Ancient of Days sit, we may come to an innumerable company of angels, have communion with and receive instruction from them. I had never supposed before the close association, <clears throat> the close association of heaven and earth. And how, and it makes sense when you think about it, how our forefathers that have gone on before us they yearn over us. They yearn over our salvation because we are their children. Just like our children that are by our side here on this earth, we, we yearn over them. We want the best for them. We want them to understand the truth. So have those that have gone on before us yearn over us. And it says the Son of Man is going to send them down to the earth. And together, us with the angels... <laughs> are going to bring about the kingdom on this earth. And then the Son of Man will come down and meet us here. I had just never supposed that before until I read it. And it just opened my eyes to something that, that I just had not realized. So I hope that that, and you'll have to let it soak in <laughs> and read that through a little bit more and and perhaps pray about it and think about it yourself. But I just marveled at uh, at what Joseph shared uh, in that short writing. So, and it made, to me anyway, it made good sense. So, anyway, any questions about that or or comment, Tom? Well, with you sharing that, it makes me think of what they call this gospel in the last days: the angel message. The angel message. 
I mean, it was spoken to Joseph by the mouth of Moroni, that angel. And so it makes perfect sense that the angel will take part and continue to take part in bringing about the kingdom here on earth. Anybody else? Brenda? That just adds another level, that that word yearning. And you think about, you know, when you're a parent and you yearn for your children to to be with with you. And um, I don't know, that just, when you know that feeling, that touched my heart anyway. And kind of put it at a new level for me too and says their bowels yearn over us. Just their, all their inner being yearns for us to be together with uh, with them in that kingdom. Tom? I hate to share too much, so anyway. Um, what you guys just talking about, the yearning. I was presiding over a prayer service at Waldo before the sacrament one morning, and and a lot of the elderly that stood were praying for their children and their children's children and grandchildren and so forth. And a lot of these children weren't part of the church anymore. And so they had great concern over uh, And I was influenced to speak to that situation under the power of the Spirit. And basically the Lord directed me to point to the, because the table was set up, and basically share with them that this was not done in vain, the sacrifice of our Lord. Thank you for sharing that, Tom. Yeah, it was not done in vain. There was purpose behind that sacrifice. Let's look at, uh, if you're ready to go to the next, let's let's take a look at the book of Daniel, the uh, second chapter. And I'm going to, it's kind of a lengthy reading. I'm going to go ahead and read and you've read this before, the, the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And I'd like to just refresh our memory by reading through that and then talk a little bit about the, um, the interpretation that Daniel gave to the king. Uh, th- this actually is the interpretation. But, um, Daniel says, Thou, O king, sawest and beheld a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet, part of iron and part clay. Thou sawest till that the stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carrieth them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, are the king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thine hand, 
and hath made thee ruler over them. Thou art this head of gold. So King Nebuchadnezzar is that head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, forasmuch as thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. I started at verse thirty one. Daniel chapter 2, I went 31 down through 35. So has the, the, uh, has the kingdom of God been set up on the earth yet? Okay. It says, in the days of these kings, speaking of the last ones, that were part iron, part clay, part strong, and part, uh, part clay, Uh, In the days of these kings is when this kingdom is going to be set up. And that stone that is uh, cut out of the mountain without hands, it's going to become a mountain. And it is going to, uh, to consume the world. That's the kingdom that we're talking about. And there's not an earthly kingdom that is going to reign over it. It is going to be the kingdom of our God and his Christ, I believe. And that is Zion. That's this kingdom, I think, that's being referenced here in this dream that was given to King Nebuchadnezzar. How long ago? When did King Nebuchadnezzar reign? I don't I don't remember. It's been a few been a few years. Six hundred BC. 2,623 years ago, thereabouts. Yeah, you're, I've heard that that discussion. Ever? Now I think we live in the image, in the days of the image of the, the toes, the feet. Clay, 
iron and clay together, part strong and part weak. Tom? One thing with this scripture and putting together section 65, uh, I was listening to Evan Fry and he was talking about the, the woman being the church and bringing forth the man child. And it's kind of interesting because I never thought of it in this respect, but he said, of course, the woman is the church and the child is the kingdom and bringing forth that kingdom. And he, he pointed out in that that the child was an infant kingdom. It wasn't a full mature kingdom. And I never thought of that before. I thought that was an interesting perspective on what he was saying about the kingdom and in the church. And, but the only church can bring forth that kingdom is the church that was set up by, through Joseph Smith. You know. So, Did you say that was Evan Fry yeah. book? Was it a it book? Was, it was one of his sermons. One was, of his sermons. Yeah. That, yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't considered that before either. I enjoy learning from you all. Let's... Uh, there's no other comments on that. Let's move over to the Book of Mormon. Let's look at First Nephi, chapter five. I'm going to read verses uh, 134 and 135. First Nephi, yeah, chapter five. Verses 134 and 135. He sent uh, fiery serpents among them, and after they were bitten, he prepared a way that they might be healed. And the labor which they had to perform was to look. And because of the simpleness of the way, or the easiness of it, there were many who perished. So the Lord, and you remember the story, and, and what's being discussed here is a, a, a lesson using that story as an example where the fiery serpents came amongst the, uh, the people and bit them. And when they got bitten, they um, were given an opportunity to be healed. And that... Uh, that um, I'm trying to think of the word uh, banner it's not quite the word that I want we talked about it earlier in the week banner and what's the other it's the the brass serpent but what ensign the ensign that was stood up um, all they had to do was look at it and, and they would be healed all they had to do was look and what's that a, a type and a shadow of of Christ and all we had to do all they had to perform was to look and we see here that because of the easiness of it there were many that perished can you imagine being told hey all you have to do is look oh I don't want to look I don't I don't I don't have time to look I don't want to look it was too easy for him. Just put yourself in that situation. I can't imagine myself not wanting to look, but they didn't want to look. That, that seems silly, I guess, to them. Kyle? Well, you'll probably remember it. It was in the Old Testament, one of the kings, I think, that Elijah or one of the prophets said, if you'll go dip in this river, 
And it would be like us at home, it's muddy, you know, muddy river. And we're like, why can't we go to Colorado to a clear stream? You know, mine, where he was from, you know, he said he had rivers that were, and he didn't want to go do what he'd been told. We want it our way. We want to do it our way. We want it our way. We always do. Because it's too hard to do it some other way. I want to go to the, I don't want to get in the muddy Missouri River. Elisa. You were asking, can you imagine being put in that situation to have to do so something so simple and not not want to? But we are. You know, we are in a situation where we've just been told to keep the commandments, to worship the Lord in holiness, and we can't seem to do it. We want to complicate it. We want to do other things. We want to do things man-made, and this is the stone made without hands. It doesn't require man. It is simple. You just have to look up. Amen to that. How hard is it to keep the commandments? Sister Pat. Maybe it has to do with the way the way it's said. Um, our daughter when she was born, she had issues, health issues. And she had been administered to and many times, and we'd sought out doctors and uh, had had her administered to one Sunday morning. And her illness was such that uh, she, would, she would eat, and then later on in the night she would have this projectile thing where she would... Uh, lose whatever she had eaten and this particular night I got up and I was cleaning her up and getting her safely back into bed and before I climbed into bed I got down on my knees and I asked the Lord why why he hadn't healed her I knew he could heal her I knew she sure deserved to be healed she was a child she had never done anything wrong And as I was having this conversation with the Lord, he reminded me that I was her mother. That I was the one who prepared her food. And uh, so I asked him to forgive me and I left it in the Lord's hands and I went to bed. The next morning when I got up, I told Jim, I said... uh, Not only do we need to have Ellen administered to, I need to be administered to. I need to ask for wisdom and discernment and understanding. And once we started to do that, the Lord led us, showed us through different ones who shared, who had knowledge. And he led us. And we learned. And the things, as we studied, the more we studied, the more it drew us to the word of wisdom. And through that and of that, um, she was blessed. But it wasn't until almost a year later uh, we had gone to a doctor. She Again, she was administered to before we went. And he decided he was going to do a scope down her throat. And it was such, and they were going to give her, 
I believe it was sodium pentothal, but it was a, a, something to help her relax in order to be able to do it. And this was before the microscopic stuff, okay? And so the instruments, the things that they were using is what they would have used in an adult. And as they were putting this thing down her throat to get a picture of what was going on, her heart stopped. The doctor quit, come out, he was really upset. He says, uh, I don't know. He said, I don't know why you wanted this done. And I said, uh, if this was your child and she had been sick for all these years and you were seeking out, he says, all right, you come back on Friday. We're going to take her in. We'll put her under general anesthetic. And that's what they did. We had her administered to again. And they were able to put the scope down and looked, and they found that she had a narrowing as it left from the stomach into the... Anyway, um, he suggested that we put her on a type of uh, medication to help her relax when she ate and that we would follow a certain diet to make sure she wasn't eating anything that she was allergic to because whenever you do, it causes mucus and then you can't... Anyway, it's a long story, but the long and the short of it was we took her back home, we had her administered to again, and the Lord blessed her. She had an experience when she was administered to again where she felt something pop in her stomach. I believe the Lord opened that. But again, he could have just healed her in the beginning, but this was something that we, not, she suffered because of us as we were learning. But we learned so much from that. But the experience above all else was that as parents, and we love and care for our children, we need to go to the Lord daily. And when it comes to teaching them, you know, those who can go to where like a fine school, like Center Place, it's one thing, but homeschooling is a good thing. That's a commandment from God. If you look, look in Genesis, he says to teach your children to read and write. And we have the wherewithal now that, that's capable, that we're capable of doing that. But the Lord is good, and I just want to just say, so often when we ask the Lord for something, there's a lesson for us to be learned. And again, he's gone before us, and the way is there. We have just chosen, like you said, why don't we look? It's hard, but I think above all else, it's because of our will. We think we got it figured out. Thank you, Pat. Jim? What you were reading here in Nephi about the fiery serpents, you can also go to Numbers chapter 20, verse 7 through 9, and he discusses that. That's the actual occurrence of that, yep, that they're referencing back to. So they knew that reference because they had the brass plates, right? They had the five, first five books of Moses, and that's where that story is accounted from. And so that, they were able to teach a lesson based on not their suffering, but on the, the suffering of others, you know, that, that they had the record of. Turn over to the book of Alma and uh, 16th chapter and verse oh, 194. Well, let's start up... Uh, at 192, it's this Alma 16, 192. But few understood the meaning of those things, and this because of the hardness of their hearts. But there were many who were so hardened that they would not look, therefore they perished. Now the reason that they would not look was because they did not believe that it would heal them. There was a lack of faith wasn't there 
I did not believe. Maddie? I don't know if this exactly relates to that reference, but um, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says, For God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So I feel like it's just something so silly that they wouldn't give it the time of day to try to understand it or care to even believe it, but um, also Jesus being weak as he was, you know, he was humble and meek, and they don't see that as something that could save them. Yeah, yeah. something not worthy of my time, yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah. Well well said, Maddie. Thank you for that. Greg? I was being drawn back to a scripture that you referenced earlier in the week um, because it's talking about the Jews. It's talking about the people of Israel and how easy this is, and it drew me back to the scripture that you referenced in Jacob three twenty three to twenty four, that where it talked about the Jews because of the, them being stiff necked would reject the plainness that God delighted in, and so because they rejected that plainness, He pulled it, and then He gave them things that were beyond them because that's what they wanted. Yep. And so it was either to their condemnation or their edification. And we're, we're no different. We, we want to, at least I want to skip over the plainness and get to the things that are of a deep nature when I don't have the plainness enacted in my life. I was reading through Inez's book the other, the other evening, and I found it interesting, something that she quoted in there. She said, all of the, the past prophets, the past individuals that bore their testimony throughout scripture, be it latter day, Old Testament, New Testament, Book of Mormon, whatever, we want to make them heroes and show that they're infallible when in fact the only infallible hero, if that's the word that we want to give to it, was Jesus Christ. Every single one of them had faults, but the beauty in it, in it is that there was that repentance process so that they could be fulfilled through God's grace and mercy because of the sacrifice of his son. You said something there, Greg, you know, talking about the stiff-necked people and their hard-headedness that we've read about here and their obstinance, and I sure am glad we're not like that. I'm saying being... I'm saying saying to be facetiously... You you guys know my my sense of humor. Brother Steve? Um, If we would go a little further there in chapter 5 of Nephi, I love that there where it begins at 144. It says, and it's talking to us too, uh, our day. Ye are swift to do iniquity, but slow to remember the Lord your God. Ye have seen an angel, Nephi is saying, and he spake unto you, yea, ye have heard his voice from time to time. And he has spoken unto you in a still small voice, but ye were past feeling. Don't you love that? That ye could not feel his words. Wherefore he has spoken unto you like unto the voice of thunder, which did cause the earth to shake as if it were to divide asunder. He wants to speak to us in a still small voice first. And then how can we really feel his words? Well, we can if we listen for that still, small voice. It's just amazing that he wants to speak to us all first that way. And then if we don't, 
He'll send the voice of thunder. Amen. Thank you, brother. Sister Jane? Alma 16, verse 192 through 195. Let's, um, we need to take a break so that we can do our recording, get that flipped over. You should say with a tape, you flip it over to the other side. I don't know what they do nowadays, but you get, get my meaning. So let's take a five, ten minute break and then we'll, we'll conclude our class. Yeah.